Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, here's some news. You can now listen to our show and its four seasons worth of archives ad-free on Amazon Music. This is an Apostrophe podcast production. We regret to inform you, the Rejection Podcast. The irony is that one of the 20th century's most creative visionaries was actually fired for lacking creativity from his local newspaper. Forbes. When Walter Elias Disney was but a mini mouse, his family moved around a lot, usually following his father's latest big idea. The family of seven lived in Chicago, in Kansas City, but there's one place where Walt Disney says more important things happened to him than ever happened since. Marceline, Missouri. In 1906, when Disney was just four years old, the family moved to the 2,600-person town. And there, Disney would have many firsts. He saw his first circus. He saw his first traveling talent show. He watched his first ever play, Peter Pan Live. Then he starred in Peter Pan Live at school. He met Buffalo Bill, Then he talked his little sister into sneaking out together to see their first motion picture. 
She was under the impression their parents okayed that last one. They hadn't, but it was well worth the scolding. Marceline was the idyllic, turn-of-the-20th-century town, and Disney's first wide-eyed introduction to Main Street, USA. Disney's father, hailing originally from Bluevale, Ontario, Canada, was, by most standards, a farmer. He owned land, he planted crops, he bought livestock, but his aptitude for agriculture pretty much stopped there. You see, Elias Disney had a knack for cutting corners. A frugal man, he was once heard loudly and proudly proclaiming that he didn't believe in fertilizer, likening giving fertilizer to plants to giving whiskey to man. It helped in the short term, but wasn't a sustainable solution to one's problems. When all his crops inevitably died, Mr. Disney would come up with get-rich-quick schemes to salvage that year's earnings. One summer, it was popping corn. Another, it was apples. He turned each of his five children into door-to-door crabapple salesmen. But it was never enough. So when the fields were barren and the cupboards empty, Elias Disney turned to carpentry. When that didn't work out, he sold the farm. And soon the family moved to Kansas City, where the patriarch purchased a paper route. Elias enlisted his sons, Walt and Roy, to assist him in his paper route. They would deliver the news to 20 square blocks of Kansas City, seven days a week. The schedule went something like this. Wake-up time was 3.30 a.m. Young Disney would deliver papers until about 5.30 or 6, then return home and nap until breakfast. He'd eat, head to school, then 30 minutes before the school day ended, he'd duck out early to pick up the next stack of papers for the afternoon run. After that, it was dinner, sleep, and before he knew it, it was 3.30 a.m. again. This schedule, as one can imagine, made focusing in class a challenge. Disney would often fall asleep at his desk, prompting one teacher to label him the, quote, second dumbest in the class. There was no doubt Disney was tired, but the truth was it wasn't just the fatigue that made him snooze through social studies. It was that he was simply uninterested. While all the other kids cracked open their textbooks, Disney would prop his up on his desk like a fort and draw. When Disney's lack of focus reached its afternoon apex, he would entertain his fellow classmates by turning his notebook into a flipbook, almost animating his doodles in real time. With the grueling schedule his father's paper route demanded, Disney had no time to play, so he found ways to slip in a little fun. As the stories told in Neil Gabler's meticulously researched biography, Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination, if Disney tossed a paper onto the lawn of a family, 
He would tiptoe up the steps of their porch and play with some of the children's stray toys. For a few moments, alone, he let his imagination run wild. Then, before heading to the next house, he was careful to leave the toys exactly as he found them. But when the paper route didn't bring in the paper Disney's father hoped it would, he had his son start delivering other items too, like theater bills, ice cream, eggs, and butter. The responsibility weighed heavy on the 12-year-old, and the longer bills went unpaid, the angrier his father became. And the harder his father was on him, the more Disney turned inward, tucking himself into his own imagination. Disney began designing posters for school events. Some local kids made a clubhouse, and Disney volunteered himself to paint its walls. Then one day, he was sitting on the street corner, doodling away, when the owner of a local barber shop took a peek at his work. He liked what he saw, and he offered the teen one free haircut in exchange for one drawing. It was a big moment for Disney. Not only was he being solicited for his art, but that week, his drawing was hung in the window of the barber shop in a special frame for everyone in town to see. Suffice it to say, Disney started getting very regular haircuts. And when he didn't need one, the barber offered the young artist 15 cents a drawing. Soon Disney started thinking, maybe he could make art for a living. So one day, when his father visited the Kansas City Star offices on official paper route business, Disney went with and promptly asked for a job. A newspaper cartoonist job. But they turned him down. It wasn't long before the second dumbest student in class graduated from middle school. The principal handed him his diploma, but that wasn't all. He also presented Disney with an award for best drawing with a $7 prize. It was the most money he had received for his art to date. And Disney later said he remained prouder of that money than any dollar he earned since. Come high school, life for Disney looked very different. His father sold the paper route, and the family moved northeast to Chicago. Disney joined the school newspaper, drawing cartoons, and he began taking more creative classes. Now he even had art homework. And one day, he submitted his latest assignment, a figure drawing. The drawing was so well done, the teacher accused young Disney of tracing and demanded he draw it again, right there in front of the whole class. So he did, with ease. Soon, Disney enrolled at the local Chicago Academy of Fine Arts. Three times a week, he attended sketching classes. He couldn't believe his good fortune. He was surrounded by fellow art lovers, drawing live models. It was all so exciting, he didn't even pause for bathroom breaks. And it was there he learned one important thing, or rather confirmed one important suspicion. Disney was not 
a fine artist. His middle school instincts were right on the money. Disney was an illustrator, a caricaturist, a cartoonist. Nailing down Disney's artistic style was one thing. Knowing where to direct that ambition was wholly another. But Disney was eager to dive in, and it wouldn't be long before he dropped out of high school to do just that. But the following years would be somewhat of a roller coaster for the budding artist. On a lark, he auditioned for a local theater as a stand up comedian, but was promptly rejected. He decided to join the army. He'd watched two of his brothers nobly enlist. But at 16, Disney was rejected for being born a little too late. Disney answered a want ad for an office boy at a local newspaper, but was rejected. So he started submitting cartoons to Life and Judge magazines. But for every submission, he received exactly one yellow rejection slip. He eventually managed to land a job at the Kansas City Star, but was eventually fired for lacking creativity. Disney heard of an opening at an art shop for an apprentice. No experience required. It was perfect. So Disney quickly assembled his very best drawings, tucked them under his arm, and headed to the shop. They hired him on the spot. Disney would make $50 a month, about $900 US dollars today. He couldn't believe his good fortune. He was being paid real money to draw ads for catalogs. It was good experience learning to work with other artists, about the process of drafting, of honing an idea. But come January, when the holiday advertising rush came to a screeching halt, so too did the money, and the art shop let Disney go. When Disney's father caught wind of his youngest son's rapid-fire rejections, he pleaded with him to pursue a stable job, say, at the local jelly factory. Drawing pictures, his father said, did not a practical career make. One day, Disney came across a want ad for the Kansas City Slide Company. They were looking for an artist to help produce the promotional content that played before movies in theaters. Disney applied. They liked him. So for $35 a week, he was hired to, quote, animate drawings. Here's what that meant in 1920. Disney would draw a picture of, say, a dog. Then he'd cut out the dog, separating its legs, ears, and tail from the rest of its body. Next, using tacks, he'd pin each piece of the dog to a board, take a photograph, then he'd move each piece slightly and take another photograph, then move them slightly again and take another photograph, until he had a series of images that, when flashed in rapid succession, gave the illusion that the dog was running. It was the earliest form of animation, and it fascinated Disney. 
If he loved cartooning, he became obsessed by the idea of making his cartoons move. And it was around that time that a local newspaper offered Disney a job as a cartoonist. A couple months ago, he would have done anything for that opportunity. But now, he had a new dream. So Disney rejected the offer. By all accounts, becoming a newspaper cartoonist was a niche career, at which very few had the opportunity to succeed. Now, Disney was trying his hand at an industry that didn't really even exist yet. He went to the library and found the only book on the shelves about animation, and devoured it that night. It talked about something called cell animation. Cell animation was a brand new concept where characters are hand-drawn onto clear celluloid sheets. Those sheets are then placed over top of a hand-drawn background. That sheet over that background would make up a single frame, sometimes 1 24th of a second. But like Disney's dog ears pinned to the board, if you drew multiple cells, photographed each, and flashed them in rapid succession, together they'd give the air of a smooth, animated scene. High off his newfound knowledge, Disney proposed cell animation to his boss at the slide company. But his boss wasn't interested. He was happy to stick with the tried-and-true cutout method. So Disney started experimenting with cell animation on his own time. Together with a few of his co-workers at the Kansas City Slide Company, Disney put together an animated short he'd call The Little Artist. It depicted an artiste painting away at his easel. It was simple, just a silly way to test out new techniques. But Disney was hooked. What he realized was that the animation was important. The drawings had to be sharp and the transitions had to be smooth. But the storytelling had to be equally, if not even more, compelling. It wasn't enough to just wow people with technology. So Disney went back to his easel and put together a one-minute cartoon he would try to sell to movie theaters. As Gabler tells the story, Disney's 60-second short would be a commentary on Kansas City's glacial streetcar service. It would start with a woman waiting for the trolley. Then, as time passes, a daisy begins to grow on her stockings. And by the time the streetcar finally arrives, the woman is completely engulfed in flowers. Disney would call his shorts laughograms. Disney landed himself a meeting with a Kansas City bigwig, the owner of a prominent three theater chain. He sat behind said bigwig in the Coliseum of movie theaters nervous as a cat as his one-minute cartoon screened before them. By the time the woman engulfed in flowers boarded the streetcar, the man turned to Disney and asked how much he'd charge for more cartoons. 
Disney blurted out a number, and the bigwig extended his hand. It wasn't until later Disney realized he forgot to charge enough to earn a profit. But oh well, he'd break even on his big break. And in March of 1921, Disney's Laughograms premiered across Kansas City theaters. Cell animation was time-consuming and expensive, so Disney hired interns, paid only in experience, and he started producing longer cartoons, up to seven minutes. Then he'd drive around to theaters across Missouri, pitching his pictures to proprietors. But funding these cartoons himself was tricky. Disney was running low on capital, and soon his Model T was repossessed. In spite of his barren bank account, Disney had never felt more fruitful. He had figured out exactly what he wanted to do with his life. He was a pioneer in what was sure to be the future of animation. And he realized, if he wanted to do this, really do this, he needed to leave the slide company. His father was not on board. Having spent his life a serial entrepreneur, and a serially unsuccessful one at that, he knew the responsibility, the anxiety, the reality of losing everything you've worked for. But on May 23, 1922, Disney received his first official letters of incorporation for Laughogram Films Incorporated. Less than two years after discovering cell animation, Disney was now heading up his own cell animation company. He hired his first official employees, an animator, a business manager, and a salesperson. But neither his animator, nor his business manager, nor his salesperson knew what they were doing. Disney himself was only just learning to animate. And we're talking about an industry that didn't really exist yet. So Disney arranged for his animator to take art classes, to learn the mechanics of bodies in motion. How did a cat's shoulders arch when it walked? The small but mighty team worked 9 a.m. until midnight, every day, studying, drawing, writing, and pitching. He sent dozens of letters soliciting distributors for his ideas, like an Alice in Wonderland spoof, where a little live-action girl interacts with cartoon characters. But he rarely heard anything back. If he did, they were rejections. Polite rejections, but rejections nonetheless. As biographer Neil Gabler explains... Walt Disney really overestimated the world's interest in animated content. At that time, cartoons were simply filler material made to round out the main event. And even then, only 20% of movie theaters featured cartoon filler in the first place. Aside from the odd project here and there, including a dental hygiene short for a local dentist, there was no real money to be made. 
what did trickle in barely covered the cost of materials, let alone salaries. So he borrowed. He bounced checks. He dodged landlords. Everyone in the office knew to pretend the boss wasn't in when creditors stopped by. His employees at that time later recalled two midnight runs when rent was due. He couldn't settle his tabs at local restaurants, so he offered to shoot baby pictures of the owner's children in lieu of payment. Staff that believed in Disney's vision were forced to quit because, well, they couldn't keep working for free. Meanwhile, Disney was living at the office to save money on rent, eating cold beans from cans and bathing once a week at the train station. He pitched Laughogram's work to the then 10-year-old Universal Pictures. They wrote back that the animation was very good, but ultimately rejected his pitch. So he approached the Kansas City Post to see if they wanted content for their weekly newsreel, but they rejected Disney too. He was fresh out of Kansas City businesses to approach, fresh out of cash, and fresh out of lifelines. At age 21, Walt Disney declared bankruptcy, rejected and heartbroken. And we'll be right back. Did you know Apostrophe has a YouTube channel? You can listen to We Regret to Inform You and Under the Influence anytime. Just tap the link in this episode's description. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Disney's idea to offer families professional photos of their children soon became his full-time job. They figured he had a camera, and he could develop the photos himself. But Kansas City felt different to him now. It was tainted with his failure, filled with people who were either disappointed in him or waiting for their checks. He stood at Union Station and watched as trains whizzed around him. People were going places, doing things with their lives. He was standing hopelessly still. As Gabler writes, In the early 1920s, roughly 40 million people, or one-third of the country's population, went to the movies each week. And where were those movies made? Los Angeles. Hollywood was a hub for entertainment, but it was also more than that. It was the capital of imagination. So Disney made a decision. He would move to L.A. He sold his things, including his camera, but most of that money went to his creditors. He packed what was left of his animation equipment into a cardboard suitcase. He borrowed a suit and made his way to the train station. And in August of 1923, Disney arrived in Hollywood with $40 in his pocket. Disney wanted a job, any job remotely related to animation. He snuck onto the Universal and Paramount lots, hoping someone would give him the time of day. He managed to stumble onto the set of a western, where the director was looking for someone to ride a horse in the background. Disney was in, but during his scene, it began to rain. And when the shoot was rescheduled, no one told Disney. But it just so happened that while Disney was waiting to reprise his role as Cowboy Number 7, someone across the country was writing him a letter. Her name was Margaret Winkler. Based in New York City, Winkler was the only female film distributor in America. And she was one of the countless film distributors Disney had written to during his Laughogram days, pitching his Alice in Wonderland shorts. Winkler was intrigued, so she wrote Disney back requesting an Alice short to screen. He sent one off, crossed his fingers, and she loved it. Margaret Winkler immediately offered Disney $1,500 apiece for 12 animated Alice shorts. Disney was thrilled, then panicked. He'd sent Winkler the only film he had, The rest were tied up with Missourian creditors. He needed to make more. Fast. Disney needed manpower, and he needed funds. So he called his brother Roy to come out to L.A. and be his assistant. And he called his uncle to ask, or perhaps more accurately, beg for a loan. 
Disney's uncle was a successful businessman in both real estate and mining. So suffice it to say, he wasn't so sure about this whole cartoon animation career. Plus, his nephew didn't exactly have a stellar track record with money. But against his better judgment, Disney's uncle relented. $500 to be repaid with interest. And with that, Walt Disney and Roy Disney began drawing and shooting short films. They'd call their company Disney Brothers Studios. The operation went like this. Walt Disney wrote the storylines, mapped out the frames, directed, and drew the animations. Roy Disney acted as cell washer, cameraman, and bookkeeper. As the pair sent their Alice films off to Winkler, she sent constructive criticism in return. The first wasn't funny enough. The second she rejected outright. The third she liked, or at least she liked the best so far. But the fourth, the fourth she loved. She wanted a new short story every two weeks. Disney said it wasn't exactly enough time to be as creative and thoughtful as he wanted to be. Basically, as soon as he thought of a gag, he animated it. Every dollar Disney Brothers Studios received for their Alice films went straight back into the company. And their bank account started to grow. They hired some staff, even started taking a salary themselves. And reviews were positive, so they continued to pump out content. Eventually, the brothers had just enough money to buy an office building just outside Los Angeles. And that's when Walt Disney informed Roy Disney that he was going to have a neon sign affixed to the side of their new offices that read, Walt Disney Studios. Gone were the days of the Disney Brothers. But Roy said he didn't mind. His little brother called the shots. By 1926, Margaret Winkler became pregnant and took a step back from her distribution company. In her absence, her husband, Charles Mintz, would take over. Mintz operated differently than his wife. He wanted more, and he wanted it fast. He wasted no time expediting the timelines on Disney's already tight Alice turnaround, and he began setting up meetings with studios to see what other opportunities were out there. Turns out, Universal Pictures was looking for a new cartoon series. They wanted 26 shorts about a bunny. They'd call it Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So Disney and his team came up with sketches for Oswald, a black and white rabbit with dark oval eyes, big ears, and even bigger feet. And only six weeks later, a contract was signed. But when the first short was completed, both Mintz and Universal hated it. 
went back to the drawing board. Some of the notes, like the rabbit should have a monocle, he rejected. Others he appreciated. Universal wanted a character that wasn't just a series of gags, but that had a personality. And that note fired up the storyteller in Disney. Disney provided Universal and Mints with a revision, and this time, they hopped on board. And soon, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit made his first appearance on screen. Critics couldn't get enough of Oswald. Motion Pictures News said it was clearly drawn, well-executed, brimful of action, and fairly abounding in humorous situations. And with that, Disney made his way to Mintz's offices in New York to discuss a pay increase for he and his growing team. But Mintz refused. In fact, he proposed a new deal where Disney made even less money. That was odd. Then things got even weirder. Disney caught wind that Mintz had begun poaching his staff one by one. Then Disney checked his contract. Upon closer inspection, Mintz had given full ownership of the Oswald character to Universal Pictures. Disney had no legal rights to his drawings. Then Mintz dealt the fourth and final blow in the form of a deal. Mintz would take over Walt Disney Studios. Disney could stay on if he wanted to, as a humble employee, for $200 a week. Mintz had successfully dismantled Walt Disney Studios right under the nose of its founder. Disney's head was spinning. But one thing was crystal clear. He was never, ever, going to give up his company. Disney had no team, no work, no rabbit, no contract, and no income. But he turned down Mintz's offer. He took what was left of Walt Disney Studios, and he walked away. On the train ride home from New York, Disney was furious. He'd lost everything. His employees, some of whom were his friends, had betrayed him. And he had no way to pay the few that stayed. Oswald was Mince's lucky rabbit now. If he wanted to salvage his company, his reputation, his name, he needed a new idea, a new character he could pitch to studios. He found a piece of train stationery and a pencil. And somewhere in the middle of the country, Disney started sketching a mouse. episode, Disney plays around with this mouse idea, 
but is quickly deterred by executives, claiming people are afraid of mice. Disney plays with sound, then color. Then he has his craziest idea of all. Feature-length cartoons. Tune in next time for Rejecting Walt Disney Part 2. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. We don't regret to inform you. Our theme music is by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Tunes provided by APM Music. The major source for this episode is Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination by Neil Gabler. Gabler's book is so fantastic. I highly recommend picking it up. It is meticulously researched and thoughtfully told. All other major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Milton Hershey from Season 4. The Hershey Company has the largest market share of any chocolate brand in North America. But before its founder, Milton Hershey, sold his first milk chocolate bar, he filed for bankruptcy. Twice. He was rejected by bankers for a $700 loan and went on to build a $50 billion empire. You could follow our network on social at apostrophe pod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustoleum hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.